Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello. Today, I want to talk about transforming adverse conditions into the path to awakening. Transforming adverse conditions into the path to awakening. There is a lot of suffering in the world, and things are bad for many, many people. And I think we know that. And this can be an opportunity for us to practice instead of simply an opportunity for sadness and lamentation. Uh, Kentrell Lodrote says, when the entire world and all living beings are filled with negativity, transform all adversity into the path of awakening. When things are going badly, that's when we really need these practices. That's when we really need them the most. And it also happens to be when we, when we sort of uh, tend to forget about them is when we need them. And uh, I'm going to read to you a passage from The Power of Mind by Kendra Lodrote. And I think this is really good. And I quote, If suffering occurs and we don't practice, it's just suffering, plain and simple. What's more, discursive thought processes compound the suffering with even more disturbing emotions. These emotions then push us to engage in harmful and negative actions. Now, in addition to the original suffering, we are also creating the causes of future suffering. This makes no sense at all. We spend so much time justifying our afflictions and negative actions, telling ourselves we are in the right. But really, we're just convincing ourselves that our actions, with, which create more suffering, are necessary. Wouldn't it be better to relate to suffering by decreasing our internal affliction and discarding the causes that perpetuate it? Why not experience the well-being of loving and compassionate mental states? Why not take up the causes of happiness? If we use the Lojong teachings to transform adversity, our suffering will gain meaning. It will become ultimately beneficial to us. The focus here is to learn how to transform adverse conditions into positive ones. So that's, that's what we're talking about here. And so we're going to talk about today using relative reality for transformation. And that's to be distinguished from ultimate reality. So relative reality is just these, these day-to-day things. And the ultimate is a little, bit, a little bit heavier. It's about seeing through emptiness and things like that. So I'm going to talk about a few of the Lojong slogans. Um, I'm going to talk about just, just a couple of them today. And these are, again, um, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. These are sort of like proverbs. They're things to, for us to learn and keep in mind so that when we need the lesson, it shows up in our mind stream. We think about it when we need it. Okay. And these ones we're going to talk about today, they're a little bit, little bit tough to wrap our heads around, but we're going to do our best. 
Um, I think they're tough to wrap our heads around because a philosopher could poke holes in these or someone could, well, I'll explain. So the first Lojong slogan we're going to talk about today is called drive all blame into one, drive all blame into one. And, uh, Kentro Lodrote defines this as, and I quote, a unique perspective that pushes us to go against our ingrained habits, end quote. So we like to blame others when a bad thing happens, even when we know it can't be their fault. And even when we know it's our fault, we still like to b- blame other people. Um, one of my kids, he, uh, whenever he can't find something, he, he says, someone took it, someone took it. And so when he can't find something that belongs to him, he just immediately thinks someone took it. And the truth is he mis- misplaces things. We all misplace things sometimes, I think. And just thinking about someone else taking it, though, what does that do? It makes him suffer more because then he's got someone to start building resentment or anger toward. And it doesn't serve him to build those things. And also, a lot of the time, nobody took anything. Nobody did anything. But still, anger rises, right? Anger rises. And I think... I have some of that uh, if there's a traffic jam, you know, one of those traffic jams where it's like it's not anybody's fault, right? There's just something going on ahead of us in the street, and it's made everybody stop. That's nobody's fault, but still, I get the same kind of anger feelings there, or irritation at least. Like, oh my gosh, I got somewhere to be, as though as though anywhere I have to go ever is urgent enough that I need to be there immediately, um, and... So that's that's something that I, I have no one to blame, but I still get those feelings. But the reason we look around to place blame, and I can do that when I'm stuck in traffic too. I can think like, oh, somebody up there is doing something dumb or whatever, right? The reason we look around to place blame, though, is our own self-clinging. Our self-clinging leads to the full range of disturbing emotions and negative actions. So... By adjusting our thinking in this way, we can avoid a lot of harm to ourselves and others. We can avoid a lot of harm to ourselves and others. You know, and if you've ever had the experience where uh, a person did something and you got angry and then you took it out on someone else, well, that's, that's exactly what we don't want, right? We don't want our suffering and our, our struggles to spill out onto other people, especially our kids or our spouses or whatever, people that are blameless in the situation that we care about the most, right? But that's that's what we do sometimes. So, um, Kendrell Lodrote, he gives an example, and I want to read this example to you. Okay, so here we go, and I quote. For example, during a pandemic, because of self-clinging and desire a desire for immediate gratification... We might choose to go to a party only to then catch the virus and all the hardship it entails, including for others. That we could get sick in the first place, though, is not only because of the self-centered choice we made to go to the party. At some point in the past, perhaps even in a previous lifetime, we operated out of selfishness, and that is why we are vulnerable to harm now. Self-cherishing could have caused such a strong desire in us that we even harmed someone physically to get what we wanted. That action then imprinted on our consciousness with the karma 
to experience the physical and mental pain we once inflicted on others. This is why we are susceptible to harm, why we can get hurt by others, get into accidents, or become ill. Our selfishness is the past, and our selfishness in the, in the present enabled this to happen. When we blame others, our blaming mind feeds our suffering. The more we cling to ourselves, the more we focus on how our suffering is someone else's fault, the more disturbed and upset we become. Our suffering is caused by self-clinging and then magnified by it. For as long as we don't recognize the role that selfishness plays in this whole drama, we will continue to create causes for suffering and the conditions for those causes to ripen. So, uh, it's quite simple. Um, what you feed is what will grow. What you feed is what will grow. And he's referencing like potential past lives, but we don't necessarily need to do that because we know in our own lives, if we pay attention, we can realize this. Giving into selfishness, giving into temptation creates a habit and it makes it easier to continue giving into temptation or to view that the opposite way. Um, giving into temptation makes it harder to resist temptation. The more we do it, the more we do it, right? So I didn't feel like he was passing judgment on people that went to parties in the COVID era when he said this passage, but I can imagine somebody thinking that way. Uh, I don't want you to think that this means we should allow ourselves to be traumatized and abused because we should be blaming ourselves for everything that happens. I don't want you to think that way. This is not about that. And that's what I mean. A person could try to poke holes in this with their philosophy and be like, well, what about this? What about this? This isn't about that. This is a tool for your self-growth. This is not to say that you should just, when something bad starts to happen, you just be like, oh, well, it's my fault. I'll just take it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't call the police if someone commits a crime against you. I don't want you to think on it that way. If we pay attention to our lives, we see where we blame other people for no reason. We can see that if we start paying attention to our actions and our habits. And that can be uncomfortable sometimes because facing yourself, you know, warts and all, you know, facing the problems you cause for yourself, that can be really hard. We like to think that bad things just happen to us. And sometimes it can be hard to point to the causes, but most of the time we can find them. Most of the time we can find them. So we can break that habit of blaming others for everything all the time. We can. So uh, the other Lojong slogan we're going to talk about today is meditate on the great kindness of all. So the traditional Tibetan teaching is that we've all had many, many numerous past lives. So everyone has been kind to you in some life. So even the person who's a real jerk in a previous life, they were your friend and they were nice to you. And we can think on it that way, certainly. But also, everyone has Buddha nature. Everyone has bodhicitta at the core of their being. And we can reflect on that. Especially when we're really judging someone. We can reflect on that and realize, well... They're just acting out their afflictions just like I am. They're not a bad person. They're just a person acting out their afflictions. And maybe that can help us with judging people so much. And I don't know if it can or not. But 
Uh, judging people often does not serve us all that well. Judging people often does not serve us all that well. And we make snap judgments and we think, oh, that person likes this, therefore they're a jerk, right? We can easily go down there, that road. Easily. And that's what we want to caution ourselves against. That is what we want to caution ourselves against. And another way to think about this is that our, our self-cherishing is a source of suffering and caring about others can be a source of happiness. We depend on other people. None of this happens in a vacuum, right? We can only develop qualities of love and compassion in relation to other beings. If other beings were not there, we could not cultivate these. That is, that is true of essentially all these Lojong teachings. It's all about relating to other people, connecting with other people. And we don't, we don't think of it that way. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. So, um, Kentro Lodrote, he says, this is a passage I'm going to read. He says, and I quote, In time... If you diligently remember the kindness of everyone, especially your adversaries, situations that used to upset you no longer will. And when you do become upset, it will be less intense and easier to transform into practice. When someone does something you don't like, if you generate positive qualities in response, you will see they are actually kind to you. The more we focus on positive qualities that come from others dwelling on their kindness, the more patience we will have. When we experience this profoundly undisturbed mind, we will know this to be the truth. So, I like that. Can we take other people being rude as a method for us to practice, as an assistant to our practice? Can we transform adversity into the path? I think we can. So... I'm going to talk about patience now because patience is the thing we use to get through it when, when people are doing things we don't like, when our relationships are a struggle, and also when just the world is doing things we don't like, you know, when, when harm is befalling you and it's not anyone's fault. Patience is what we use to get through that. Patience. So I'm going to tell you about what is called the three types of patience, and we're going to explore those a little bit. So the three types of patience are called accepting suffering. That's number one. Not blaming the harm doer. That's number two. And certainty in the true nature of phenomena. That's number three. So I think, in my opinion, these go in order. The easiest one. Easiest is not the right word, but the hardest one to think about is the third one, and the easiest one to think about is the first one. That's how I want to say it. Yeah. So, accepting suffering. We want to accept our suffering and use it in a meaningful way as opportunities to develop wisdom and increase our capacity for love and compassion. Suffering can be a catalyst to help us transform ourselves. We can change our relationship to suffering. Suffering motivates us to find freedom 
You know, it's one of the four thoughts that change the mind. And it also motivates us to help others when we see suffering in the world. We can arouse empathy, empathy and compassion and try to help other people. And the truth is, if we can learn to feel less aversion to suffering and just accept it, we will suffer less. So we can learn to have that mind that says, right now it's like this. What can I do? You know, right now I'm facing this. What can I do about it? Instead of the ordinary mind that says, why is this happening to me? You know, why is this happening to me is our ordinary mind. But we can cultivate this mind that says, okay, this is what's happening. What can I do? Because suffering is always going to happen. That's part of the nature of existence. We're not going to escape it, at least not forever. And we need to, we need to know that. We need to know that. So suffering, it can really help us inspire other people too. You know, when you see someone that endured a great hardship, you, that can be an inspiration story. And it is a lot. A lot of the time, that's an inspiration story. And our, our suffering can inspire us to help others not suffer like we did. And that's what we want to do. So we want to have open hearts and not, not close our hearts and let our, let our hearts get hard because of our suffering, which as, as we could do easily, we want to keep our hearts open and instead let our suffering be an opportunity to inspire, to help others, to sh- deepen our empathy and compassion because the benefits of empathy, of, uh, empathy and compassion are infinite. There are unlimited benefits. And additionally, if we're cultivating compassion, well, that can help us soothe, soothe the flames of, of uh, anger a little bit, right? If we're loving other people, maybe we can calm down that anger some. At least I hope so. And so that's, that's something to think about. Uh, the second kind of patience is called the patience of not blaming the harm doer. And so that means, you know, somebody causes harm to us. Can we learn how to not blame them? And again, that doesn't mean, well, let's just let them keep doing it. That doesn't mean that. But it means what we can do is when we notice we're about to blame someone for something, pause. Pause for a moment and just reflect on Well, one, of course, reflect on, am I being ridiculous? Is this person completely not to blame? That's number one, because we do blame people that have nothing to do with what's harming us. But also, we can reflect on this person. Because the harm doer, or the alleged harm doer, is a person like you. They want happiness, and they don't know how to get it. They want happiness and they don't know how to get it. And they're struggling with their, with their delusion and with their ignorance and with their, their own suffering as well. You know, you've heard that cliche, only hurt people hurt people or something like that. And that's not to say what I don't want to do is just make excuses for abuse and things like that. Let's, we need to be very careful and mindful here. But we can still, we can take a moment we can take a moment and make sure our reaction is genuine and our reaction is uh, at the right level, you know, because we do overreact when harm is done to us a lot of the time. 
and we want to have the appropriate reaction. We don't want to be harmed by someone, lash out, and then apologize later for how we overreact. I mean, we don't want to owe an apology later for how we overreacted there. If we did overreact, we should give an apology, but we don't want to be in that position. We want our reaction to whatever happens to be measured. We want to choose how to respond instead of just reacting mindlessly. So about this in the book, Kentrell Lodrote, he says, and I quote, So when a person causes you harm, think to yourself, this problem is not caused by a flaw in the person. It's caused by the flaw of their disturbing emotions. Cultivating this understanding both prevents us from engaging in harmful actions and helps us to be compassionate instead of angry. Sometimes we rationalize that we need to retaliate so that the person causing harm doesn't get away with what they've done. But no one gets away with anything karmically. And to engage in negative actions only accumulates more causes of suffering. When something happens that we don't like, we usually justify our anger by repeatedly focusing on the offenses of the person we deem to be at fault. Mind training involves going beyond that this ordinary rationalization to reach a more sophisticated perception, one that is an actual cause of happiness. So that's the thing. We do, we can justify all sorts of behavior when we feel wronged. We can justify all sorts of behavior and that can lead us down a very dark path if we're not careful. And we're really good at rationalizing why we need to do something harmful to another person. We're really good at that. And I think this is just a situation where we need to be very careful. Very careful. A lot of harm arises in the world because, you know, people are wrongly blamed or people are overreacting. Overreacting. And that's not... um I don't use this as a means to judge someone and say, hey, why'd you overreact to that? This is about you thinking about yourself. This is not about me me thinking about your reaction to things. It's about how you think about your reaction to things. And I think we should keep that in mind because we could hear this kind of teaching and think we're being judged. And that's not the intention. The intention is for you to reflect on how you react to things and to see if you have work to do there. And I can't know that about you. Only you can know that about you. The only person you're competing against is your your former self. Okay? And that's a that's a big thing to keep in mind because someone could could hear this teaching and think, "Oh, you're judging me for being angry." And it's not like that. It's not like that. It's just calling you to reflect on how your anger or whatever negative emotion affects you and if you can relate to that feeling in a more mindful way, in a wiser way. So the third kind of patience, and this might be the most difficult one to wrap your heads around, the patience of certainty in the true nature of phenomena. So what's the true nature of phenomena? Well, it is... There's nothing to hold on to. It is emptiness. And if we see that the true nature of things is emptiness, then anger doesn't make as much sense. 
anger doesn't make as much sense. So he says about this, and I quote, Ordinary mind operates under a framework of three spheres, subject, object, and action. The subject is the perceiver, the object is what is perceived, and the action is the interaction that takes place between the subject and object. When accomplished practitioners see the empty nature of these three spheres, their disturbing emotions are resolved as they arise. Because their minds remain profoundly undisturbed, they experience patient forbearance. Practitioners who have not yet developed this degree of insight should examine the three spheres until they see that although they appear, they are empty and are without inherent existence. Here's another way to think about it. When you feel upset rather than thinking about why you feel angry, look directly at the essence of anger itself. Where is it? What is it like? What is its nature? At the moment of looking, relax and let go and rest naturally. If you can do that and your mind remains undisturbed, the anger will resolve then and there. This can bring an experiential recognition of emptiness. But for this method to work, we have to be willing to let go of the reasons why we are angry. That's really, that is aspirational, I think. So what we want to do, our aspiration is to have this, this mind that sees the world clearly and sees phenomena as empty. That is, we put so much importance on everything and we forget things are impermanent. Things don't have a true nature. Everything's just a combination of causes and conditions. And it's a hard thing to keep that in mind because that is not how we want to see the world. That's not how we're raised to see the world, but we can. We can cultivate that mind and that's aspirational. That's aspirational. It's something we probably can't do today. I know I can't. So that is the three types of patience. So this is a reflection on using reality, using relative reality for transformation. This is a guided reflection and this is a passage from The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote. This is a bit of an extended passage, okay? Here we go. And I quote, Every time you encounter adversity, give yourself a moment before reacting. Pause. Take a breath. And bring to mind the first or second statement. That is, drive all blame into one and meditate on the great kindness of others. Or bring to mind any or all of the three types of patient forbearance. The patience of accepting suffering, the patience of not blaming the harm doer, and the patience of certainty in the true nature of phenomena. This will give your mind space and perspective. Follow that with informal Tonglen practice. Design a saying that is specific to the situation. For instance, may the pain of all beings who suffer in these ways be gathered here in my experience, through which power may they all be free from such suffering and its causes. If you can, 
Briefly recollect ultimate bodhicitta by thinking about how the situation does not truly exist according to your perception or is no more real than a dream. Then, allow the mind to rest for a moment. When you don't have time, especially if you are in the middle of a tense situation, do just one. Remember one of the statements. Or do Tonglen. Follow either of these trainings with a moment of rest. This practice takes only a few seconds and can be done at any time, even in the middle of a conversation. If the affliction persists or your mind dwells on the circumstance past the initial moments, continue to reflect on any of the points made in this teaching and apply them to your particular circumstance. You could even systematically think about each of the four thoughts that change the mind in relation to the situation. Uh, precious human life, suffering, karma, and impermanence. Then cultivate wisdom that sees the ultimate nature. Or you might reflect on the meaning of driving all blame into one, considering the kindness of others, or remembering the value of practicing patience. Follow any contemplations with loving kindness and compassion practice, such as Tonglen. You already have an arsenal of tools to implement during challenging situations. So that's it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.